officially now you've moved over to another section of USU. You're still heavily involved with us, and we're glad about that. Yeah, I've never I've never been on the show, and I've never been in the seat, so this is a new experience yeah, for me. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so tell me about this particular project. Of course, on Access Utah, and, and of course, many media outlets have been uh, really talking about this a lot. We've had an especially bad winter. It's just, just red air days just about every day, and people reporting uh, ill effects. Um, what were you trying to, to focus in on with, with this project? Well, we, we partnered with the Public Insight Network, which is a public radio group. They're actually part of American Public Media, which is uh, a di- producer and distributor of Marketplace, uh, Performance Today, Prairie Home Companion. And they have a whole wing devoted to kind of community journalism. So the Public Insight Network, which we call PIN for short, um, offered up some some funds that they called the Community Engagement Funds that said, we want you as a station to engage in a conversation with your community about a topic that isn't being covered or the, that people in the community don't feel like is being covered and, and just engage them in a conversation and use people in your community as your sources. So it's about finding public sources. One of their taglines is that, you know, everybody is an expert. Everybody knows about something. So so I thought that that was the perfect way to get out there and find out what people thought about this subject because we were sort of hearing – when I actually applied for the funds um, in January – I was there were some crickets when I went to the media to find out what was going on with the air pollution is that we're looking outside and sort of monitoring what was going on. And it was terrifying. And there wasn't a lot of media coverage and nobody was talking about it in the news. And uh, that quickly ramped up, which was nice to hear. But we weren't hearing a lot from people Mm -hmm. on the ground. So that's what I set out to do. Quite often a show like this, you bring in experts, you bring in uh, or or if it's uh, sort of the man on the street, it's it's a person who's gotten involved, activist uh, type people. Uh, So you were able to to talk to, uh, sounds like, quite a few people. Yeah, so I I put out a... um, what they call a pin query, which is their sort of brand name for it. It's an online survey and it's up on the web. It's at upr.org slash source and it's going to be up for a while. And I'm just collecting stories. It has a couple of questions. They're very open-ended questions. Have you felt health effects of air pollution? Um, That can be yes or no. And that can be, um, and then the follow-up question is, what are those specific symptoms? And I'm looking for sort of acute symptoms. We've heard some health reports about long-term effects of this. You know, some things, really terrifying things about it, sort of taking six months off of our life, um, at the end of our life. But I just kind of want to know what what it feels like right now. You hear symptoms like the scratchy throat, itchy eyes, burning, these persistent coughs. And I just kind of wanted to start collecting these symptoms um, that people had undiagnosed. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean we actually ask, you know, do you know, do you have a known or diagnosed lung or health um, illness or problem that you know about, and I'm sort of separating those out. So these are people, you know, healthy people, people who think they're healthy, who are like, what's going on? I have these symptoms, um, and I don't have the answers. I'm not saying that this is directly attributed to air pollution, but I just want to compile these things and then um, and then let some other people answer the questions for me and provide solutions. And some of that will be coming up next week when you have some feature reports where you, where you match up some of these questions to some expert answers. Exactly. And so for this, and then the other thing I did, so there's the form that um, people can write in their answers. And then I, I went on Saturday to the Earth Day event downtown, um, Logan Cash Valley Center for the Arts, 
Earth Day Downtown Street Festival and actually opened up a story booth where I recorded people talking about their air pollution experiences. Same concept, but um, out loud instead of on on print. Well, I'm curious to hear what uh, people are saying. So you put together about an eight-minute segment <laughs> compiling some of the responses you got to, to the questions you've been talking about. Yeah, and just to, to set this up, the event was... Um, was very. It was a street festival. There was live music, um, which you will hear amazing background music um, in a sort of disconcerting short clip <laughs> versions of of each of these. There was always a different band playing um, when I was talking to people, which made it great. Um, and there were speakers, and there was. It was raining, um, so that was kind of a bummer. And a lot of people didn't come out, but I just gave people an opportunity to um, complain about the weather a little bit yeah. um, <laughs> to get it off their chest. Let's hear this. This is put together by Jennifer Pemberton with uh, her project, uh, PIN Project, uh, Public Interest Network. With the background of various local musicians and speakers, I set up a table and microphone to ask Cache Valley residents to tell me their bad air stories. Have you ever had a bad air day? How do you know when it's a bad air day? What are you going to do about it? Everyone who stopped by had something to say about air pollution in our valley. I felt really depressed about this last winter. I was stuck in the house, and I ended up gaining about 10 pounds because I couldn't get out and exercise and do the walking that I usually do. And I was also sick most of the winter, so it was one of the most depressing winters I've ever had. I would look outside, and it was just a gray haze. And I know that the weather patterns have something to do with the pollution being trapped in, but fundamentally, the pollution can't be trapped in if there isn't pollution. So I feel like we need to work on controlling pollution so that when we do have inversion conditions, the air can at least stay somewhat clean. I read somewhere that it's actually affecting like the health of our unborn children, which is to me, very concerning. We have a wood-burning stove that we use sometimes, and we want to make sure that it's a green air day before we ever light that. And I also have a little boy who tends to get asthma if we go out when it's a dirty air day. So I always check in the morning. And unfortunately, when it's a bad air day, we tend to drive. So it's sort of a, it's sort of a vicious circle, and I'm not sure how to solve it. I was uh, training with a friend to run in uh, the Peach Days Marathon, uh, run, fun run, whatever, and uh, I realized uh, after working out in Salt Lake City versus working out in Brigham City, I was having a lot of issues, and so I went to a doctor, and they told me that I had asthma, and uh, I've never been diagnosed with asthma in my life, and so they gave me, you know, an inhaler for about a month, and it helped a, a lot. Um, but And after I left Salt Lake City, I moved to uh, Vancouver, B.C., and I had no issues with the air quality there. Like, my asthma completely cleared up and no issues at all. And at the time, I was uh, seeing a cross-country runner, and she was specifically told by her coach, do not go running during rush hour. So when you have to be told things like that, I have a feeling that there's something wrong with... Uh, how people are uh, living their lives in terms of the common space that they have to share. Um, it feels pretty bad. It feels like cancer in my lungs. Don't want to be outside. I want to just see more than two feet ahead of me. I was picking up some international students from the airport. They were coming from South Korea for just a stint at USU. And we were coming down Sardine Pass, and we got to right when you could see Logan. And they're like, what's that white line? And I was like, oh, that's the snow on the mountains. They're like, no, no, it's like lower than that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's the inversion. 
that's a layer of pollution, and they could not believe it. They could not believe that that line was was the pollution. You could see it that clearly from that point on the whatever road that is from Sardine Canyon. And uh, and I, you know, I've heard that it's it's worse than LA air. And so I told them that, and you know, they're. They have large cities in South Korea, like pretty dense populations, and they'd never seen anything like that. And it was just so clear. You see Logan, and a little bit up, you see this thick cover, and and I never noticed it that way. It's like when you're in the city, you can't really, you can see it's foggy, but you can't see the line. I go online to the Bear River Health Department uh, site where you can uh, check where the PM 2.5s are. And if they're below 15, I do my skiing and running. Otherwise, I stay holed up in my cave. I'm a very physically active person, so I do a lot of running and a lot of cross-country skiing, both of which consume a whole lot of air through your lungs. And I can definitely feel the difference uh, when it's, say, above uh, 20, that is micrograms per cubic meter. Not that that really matters. We just know that it's bad. And yeah, and I actually, before I was really aware of the health risks, I would run on the Smithfield Golf, Birch Creek Golf Course in Smithfield. And I started picking up a wheeze that I never had before, and it stayed with me all these years. So I know I did some da- deep lung damage, alveoli damage, whatever. So, yeah, so I, I learned the hard way that, yeah, I don't want to singe my lungs anymore, so I'm going to be more cautious. My parents were going to come out in February, and, um, you know, my mom's, I just, it seemed like it was something that could irritate her lung condition, so I just told them not to come because I didn't want them to, I didn't want her to get sick. And I didn't know what the, what the implications would be if she, you know, breathed in bad air for a week. I rode my bike through the winter, and um, I always felt it in my throat, Um, and uh, so I could feel that. I could feel it for sure. It seems like a pretty nasty problem, you know, because it seems like there's a lot of different groups that are stakeholders. It seems like it should be a priority, though. It's a beautiful place. Just maintaining the health health of the natural environment seems crucial. Right when my friend moved to Logan, um, she rides a reclined bicycle. So you sit back in a seat, regular seat, and pedal. Um, and she started getting lung problems and breathing problems right away, right when she moved to Logan. And she went to the doctor, and he told her that it's from the bad air quality, and she can't ride her reclined bicycle anymore because it's making her sick. She got a lung infection that's like a chronic infection. It's, it won't go away. Um, and so she doesn't own a car, so she still rides a bike, but she has to ride a regular bicycle and wear a mask when she rides her bike um, and go to the doctor all the time to deal with her lung issues because of the poor air quality. So she mostly works from home because um, even just ride, riding a regular bike with a mask, it's still really hard on her lungs, and so she spends most of her time working from home. We hardly ever see her in the office. Yeah, I don't either don't go outside or I take the bus on days when the air quality is bad because if I walk... So I have to walk, since I live in the island, I have to walk up two hills to get to school. I have to walk up the Dugway, and then I walk up Old Main Hill, and just that walk or bike ride makes my lungs hurt, so I just don't do it. I just take the bus on those days. Most of the winter, I just take the bus. I never can walk or ride my bike to school, because it physically hurts. <laughs> well, there are several uh, good reasons to ride the bus, air pollution being one, uh, traffic congestion being another which works hand-in-hand, 
but uh, the bus is just a good alternative to an individual uh, vehicle. We uh, get super mileage when you consider the number of people that are on the bus, and that cuts down on the uh, particulates, the pollutions. And it's just a fun way to get around. So we try to take you to where you're going. We should probably remind people, too, that the uh, the bus is free in Cache Valley, right? All free. Yep. You guys ride the bus? Yeah. All the time. We're very thankful for the bus. <laughs> Voices from our Bad Air Story booth at Logan's Earth Day Downtown Street Festival. Thanks to everyone who shared their stories with us, including Aaron Brewer, Faris Shabib, Sushma Sharaf, Carrie Shea, Ben Bensberg, Letty Yenny, Jack Green, and CVTD bus driver John, who I had the privilege of sheltering under a tarp with all day out of the rain. He was giving away candy, which I think helped entice folks over to my table. I'll let the Uncommon Collective Junk Jam and African Drum Group, a group of kids and adults banging away on items that were not originally intended to be percussion instruments, take us out. From downtown Logan, I'm Jennifer Pemberton for Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm joined by Jennifer Pemberton, and uh, we uh, we heard uh, some extraordinary brief stories there from from uh, people. Uh, Jennifer Pemberton uh, went out into the community there, participating in Earth Day, and asked people uh, how air pollution was affecting them. This is a part of a public interest network project that Jennifer's involved with, along with UPR. Um, some extraordinary stories there, Jennifer. I really enjoy listening to these stories. And I should probably say that um, there is a kind of the background for all of this in some ways is that, you know, I have my own bad air story is that, you know, I'm asthmatic. I actually either developed or discovered my asthma living in China and thought that it was a problem that was specific to that place. I thought, you know, all the pollution's really bad. Obviously, that's why I'm having problems. Left had lasting damage, had carried asthma with me ever since. Moved to Cache Valley um, about two years ago. And the first winter I was here, which the winter of 2010 um, or 2011, which wasn't quite as bad as as the one we just went through. But um, still, I went I actually went to the doctor because I was having panic attacks. And I was having this just nausea and this tightness in my stomach and sweaty palms and just really weird symptoms. And I went to the doctor and I explained what was happening. I was trying to get a referral to a mental health professional. And he said, well, I'd be really happy to refer you to a mental health professional. But what you're describing is an asthma attack. Mm. And so suddenly I realized that I was kind of faced with this again. Um, not It's not directly always attributed to uh, air pollution is one of the triggers of my asthma. I mean, spicy foods and excessive laughter also <laughs> affect my asthma. So it's not um, that that's the only thing. But I thought that air pollution in the valley was my problem. I thought, I have this condition. That's why it's affecting me more than other people. So when I hear normal, healthy people talking about 
the feelings that they had. And some of it's emotional and some of it's physical. You know, there is the sort of discomfort and the pain, but there's also depression. Um, I've heard from more than one person about this weight gain over the winter time. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get out and exercise. I just kind of had to sit at home and didn't, you know, do the running or the walking or the biking that I usually get to do. Um, embarrassment is another common one. People bring people to the valley. There was a story in there about, you know, the, the guy who who told his parents not to come visit because he was afraid for their health. Um, so there's all of these elements to it that... Um, lead to a very kind of frustrated population that doesn't quite understand what's what's going on. Uh, and I think that is one of the emotions. Um, what is going on? Why is it happening? What, what do we do? I wonder, you said you, you, know, you lived in China. Um, we hear about bad air pollution there. What's the comparison? Well, it's, I mean, they're kind of hard to compare. Air pollution, I mean, our air pollution is very different chemically and, you know, the makeup of it from even Salt Lake City or Ogden's pollution. I mean, Cache Valley has a very specific problem, and this is something that I'm just learning about um, through folks like Randy Martin, who's going to be on the show later today, who studies, you know, the composition of the the pollution, the PM2.5, which is the tiny, tiny pollution, um, which actually isn't even the pollution that causes most of these acute symptoms. The thing, the scary thing about PM2.5 is that it's so small that it does, you don't even cough this stuff up. It's not the stuff that irritates your lungs. It goes straight into your bloodstream. Um, and that's, that's the, the unborn children, heart condition, um, long-term, really scary stuff that's going on. But um, the, it's the chunkier particles that actually cause us to have have these problems. But the, the makeup was totally different um, in China. In China, I mean, there was you could see it. It was much bigger. Um, there was a lot more of that kind of coughing up stuff. You you hear you know horrible horrible noises uh, coming out of men in the morning and you think this is terrible and then one morning you wake up and you you know the first time you wake up and start coughing and and spit something into the sink that you had no idea you were capable of it's really terrifying that's scary it's terrifying (laughs) is is the word uh some of these stories uh kind of kind of scary maybe scare us straight you know (laughs) the the gentleman who uh, went jogging uh, a few years ago, and now he has lasting effects, um, and and the emotional effects as well. That that's a very interesting part of this, uh, embarrassment, depression. Uh, so there there's a wide gamut of effects. Yeah, and you know, I I keep telling people that I'm not I'm not in the business of solutions. That's I'm not an activist. That's not why I'm doing this. I but I do feel like I'm like compiling these stories is building some kind of case. It's building evidence, and it's anecdotal evidence. This is not a scientific survey. I'm just asking people to tell me how they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, don't, I don't know what's going to come of this yet. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm just sitting back and listening and recording and, and putting these together. But even you know, in that eight-minute segment, when you start listening to these stories back to back to back, um, you know, whoever's listening, uh, who does have the power to do things. And some of these things are, you know, things we can do ourselves. And some of them are societal or governmental issues that need to be taken care of. Um, you know, like I said, I'm not looking that far into the future right now. I'm just building, building a case. I'm building 
something with this narrative evidence, I guess. We're talking with uh, Jennifer Pemberton this part of the program. Uh, we'd love to hear your story. Uh, we heard several stories, very compelling there, that Jennifer uh, compiled an eight-minute segment there. Uh, we'd love to hear your story, whether it's in northern Utah or in St. George, uh, Uana Basin. I know there are some other areas in the state that have air, of course, along the Wasatch Front has uh, air pollution problems. We'd love to hear your story today. The number to call is 1-800-826-1495. Don't worry, in this hour, the fun drive is turned off. Uh, and uh, you can you can call um, uh, in a safe zone, uh, pledge-free zone, 1-800-826-1495, or you can get through to us on our website, uh, upr.org, and email, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at uh, gmail.com. Coming up in the next half of the program, we'll be talking with Randy Martin from USU, Jean Lown also from USU, and she's running a contest looking for ideas. Uh, she'll announce the winners there soon, and uh, Rosalind Brain, who is a Sustainable Communities Extension Specialist at USU. Uh, there's a uh, air quality summit coming up. That is on Thursday at the Riverwoods um, Complex, and uh, you can register for that. Um, before we let you go, Jennifer, there there's more to come with this. We very much enjoyed this uh, montage of voices. You're going to be producing uh, several features, which we will hear in Morning Edition and All Things Considered next week. That's right. I'm I'm compi- compiling um, these voices and then matching them with some more expert voices. So I will be talking to um, Randy Martin about um, the the red, yellow, green air day. What does it mean? The EPA scale versus the DEQ scale. Um, sort of decoding um, the how we announce to the public what's going on with the air quality. That should be a really interesting conversation. Um, I'm also talking to Roger Collum, who is a toxicologist, and he actually is slicing up some, has some lung cells isolated in his lab over um, on the campus of USU, and he's introducing particles into those lung cells and checking out the pathology of what's going on. So I'm really interested to to talk to him. And then I will be reporting from the Bear River Health uh, Department Air Quality Summit, um, where Ed Red and a couple other local politicians will be there and um, and some doctors. And they're just going to talk about um, both emissions testing that they are responsible for sort of help. They're going to implement the emissions testing program that just um, was mandated by the EPA in Cache County. So they're going to talk about that, and and some doctors are going to talk about health effects. And uh, Arden Pope, uh, a renowned expert on uh, air quality from BYU, will be the keynoter at the, that, right. that uh, event. That's on Thursday. We're going to continue this discussion, uh, and uh, you're still accepting comments, right? That's right. Where, where can people go? UPR.org slash source is where we're always going to be asking um, various questions for right now um, and probably for another couple months. It's going to be this air quality question. So you can go there. You can fill it out anytime. I'm going to probably be taking the story booth, um, the bad air story booth on the road to a couple more events um, throughout the summer. So stay tuned. This is an ongoing project. Like I said, I I haven't even, I haven't scratched the surface. I don't even know what the answers are yet. I haven't even figured out what the questions are. So we're going to keep tackling this. It's it's a good start and a very interesting project uh, talking to the men on the street and uh, what what the effects of air pollution are. Uh, Jennifer Pemberton, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, We're going to be hearing Wild About Utah, take a break, and when we come back, we'll be uh, talking, as I mentioned, uh, to uh, uh, three good people from USU, Gene Lown, Randy Martin, and Rosalind Brain. We'll be uh, discussing air pollution problems further and... uh, treat uh, some of the uh, issues raised uh, by the people who talked to Jennifer Pemberton recently uh, following the break.
Welcome to Wild About Utah, a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. Hi, I'm Holly Strand. In Logan Cemetery, a granite bench marks the grave of Mae Swenson, a native Utah and eminent poet. She was born in Logan in 1913 and attended Utah State University, where she published her first poem. She moved east in 1936, and eventually she became one of America's most inventive and recognized poets. She won many awards, including Guggenheim and Rockefeller grants, the Yale Bollingen Prize, and the MacArthur Foundation Fellowship. Utah State University conferred an honorary doctorate on Swenson in 1987. Despite her many achievements and her years living away from Utah, Swenson never forgot her Mormon heritage or her identity as a Westerner. Nature played a prominent role in Swenson's work. In fact, one published collection of her work is called Nature, Poems, Old and New. These poems are brimming with imagery that evokes the beauty and complexity of the natural world. Here's an example, a poem called April Light, read by Paul Crumley, a professor of English at Utah State University who specializes in Swenson's work. Lined with light, the twigs are stubby arrows. A gilded trunk writhes upward from the roots, from the pit of the black tentacles. In the Book of Spring, a bare-limbed torso is the first illustration. Light teaches the tree to beget leaves, to embroider itself all over with green reality until summer becomes its steady portrait and birds bring their lifetimes to the boughs. Then even the corpse-light copies from below may shimmer, dreaming it feels the cheeks of blossom. Another of Swenson's poems describes a well-known natural feature in Utah. Listen to this excerpt of Above Bear Lake. A breeze and the filtered light makes shine a million bristling quills of spruce and fir down slope, where slashes of sky and lake hang blue, windows of intense stain. We take the rim trail, crushing bloom of sage, sniffing resinous wind, our boots in the wild, small, every-colored Rocky Mountain flowers. Suddenly, a steep drop-off. Below we see the hole, the wail of it, deep, Enormous blue that widens while the sky slants back to pale behind a watercolored mountain. Listening to this makes me feel like I'm standing on the scenic outlook at the summit of Logan Canyon. That is, of course, where Swenson wrote it. For more on the Utah poet May Swenson, see our website, www.wildaboututah.org. Thanks to Paul Crumley and Maria Melendez of the English Department at Utah State University. For Wild About Utah, I'm Holly Strand. Wild About Utah is a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Quinney College of Natural Resources at Utah State University, where students and faculty promote the sustainability of ecosystems and the communities that depend on them. Information at cnr.usu.edu. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. 
We're talking about air quality on the program today, uh, particularly bad winter, and uh, that got a lot of attention. Maybe that's an, an upside, glass half full sort of a thing. Uh, we've done several programs here on uh, UPR. Uh, and earlier in the program, we heard uh, from Jennifer Pemberton, who has a, uh, a project with Public Interest Network, where she is engaging you on this subject. And she went downtown Logan over the weekend and uh, created some audio or recorded some audio from people. Some extraordinary stories. We heard about eight minutes of compelling tape there, the, the health effects on people, anecdotal evidence about this. We're going to continue this discussion with uh, three people uh, involved in the issue. Uh, Jean Laun is is a professor in the Family, Consumer, and Human Development Department at USU. And, uh, Professor Lown, we've had you on the program a couple times with, with this. Uh, you have, I think you've wanted to be involved in, in, in several ways. One of the ways is you... You're running a contest. You'll soon announce the winners. Right. Uh, the winners will be announced Thursday at the Cache Valley Air Quality Summit. And Dr. Arden Pote's going to be there to make the announcements and give the awards because the award's named after him. That's right. I, that, that was kind of nice to see. Arden Pope, uh, uh, economics professor at uh, BYU, a renowned expert. Uh, we're going to have him on the program here at uh, in the next month or so. Excellent. Um, so, um, and, and this is trying to get ideas from USU students to, to, about how do we solve the air quality problem? Right. It got started one day. I was just sitting, getting very frustrated about the whole situation. I thought, gosh, you know, the Utah legislature ought to allocate some grant money for competitive grants. You know, we've got wonderful universities and great researchers, both faculty and students, who can address the problem and look for solutions. And then I thought, well, you know, heck, hell could freeze over before that happens. So I said, why not just start a little contest right here at Utah State to generate ideas and raise awareness? Hmm. And, uh, of course, we don't want to preempt your announcement. That'll be, that'll happen officially <laughs> on uh, Thursday. At, at the Bear River Health Department uh, Air Quality Summit. That's at Thursday at the Riverwoods Conference Center. By the way, you can register at the Bear River Health Department, brhd.org. And so that'll be a great opportunity for you. Uh, Professor Martin, I think, is going to be participating in that. Uh, so, But just give us maybe a sense of uh, some of the types of, of things that you've received. Oh, well, we've got a whole range of ideas, some the kinds of things that we've all heard about, like everybody using more public transportation, walking, riding bikes, et cetera, to things like putting, uh, you know, sounds a little bit um, space age to me in terms of putting some kind of monitors on the light posts along the heavily traveled streets uh, related to reducing pollution, uh, just a whole range of ideas. Hmm. But, you know, a good part of it is we know a lot, you know, Dr. Martin certainly knows a lot about the chemistry and uh, the hard science, but me being a social scientist, I know that you don't get people to change their behavior by giving them facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> you, you need true, to go it? beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, bringing in ideas from other disciplines like psychology, behavioral psychology. We're we're sort of taking stock in the program today, especially bad winter. And I think we're, you know, uh, Jennifer talked to people who uh, were suffering from depression, people who said they gained a lot of weight because they couldn't get out and exercise, Uh, uh, people who say they are experiencing long-lasting health effects from from the air pollution. And we're talking about that on the program today. Where are we? Where do we need to go? We heard some compelling audio from Jennifer Pemberton earlier in the program. Uh, from the man on the street. Uh, we'd love to hear your story 
and uh, you can reach us at 1-800-826-1495. What is it like living with air pollution? 1-800-826-1495. Or you can join us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Let's bring in uh, Randy Martin, who... uh, is associate research professor of environmental engineering at USU, and and Professor Martin, you've you've studied this uh, quite a bit, particularly the uh, the PM two point five. Yeah, uh, when we moved into the valley in two thousand, uh, I didn't know I was going to move into a giant uh, experimental basin for PM two and a half, and it turned out to be a very interesting set of research. Uh, and uh, what are some of the latest ad- advances? You 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 study what comes out of the tailpipe. We we've studied pretty much. Where most of our, our sources for both the direct PM and what we call the secondary PM, the ammonium nitrate we've heard so much about, uh, what we've been focusing on lately is things such as, is it good to go inside? We've looked at differences between indoor and outdoor, and, and uh, I'll be presenting some of that at the Air Quality Summit. The short answer is yes, it's better to stay inside than it is outside in regard to our PM2.5. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, maybe not maybe not much of a difference on some of the other, but at least in two point. Right. The PM2.5, because it's made of ammonium nitrate, when it comes inside and is warmed back up to room temperature, it tends to revolatilize, and you end up back with the gas phase product, which is nitric acid and ammonia gas. And those are very depositional and essentially deposit to your furnace filters, your walls, your carpets, whatever. I want to ask you about, uh, I know you have some comments on this because I've, I've read them in the paper, uh, about um, recent emissions testing, which, which passed. Some of the county councilmen say they felt like their hand was forced by the state and uh, is sort of some kicking and screaming, but it did pass. So we will be having emissions testing. Some of the arguments against that are it's, it's very costly and, uh, and that it won't make that big of a dent. Uh, yeah, those are some of the arguments, and I, and I'll, I should mention that uh, Grant Coford from the Health Department will also be at the summit, and he will talk about the inspection program in detail. Uh, but the thing you have to keep in mind, first of all, the expense, uh, $20 every two years. Um, to me, that's not a huge expense. If you look at what are the estimated health costs, it's approaching $7 million per year for the Cache Valley. Uh, so the $20 every other year for 80,000 cars in the Valley to me is – it's a no-brainer. It's an easy switch. Um, as far as how much impact it will make, uh, you hear, depending on exactly who's talking, uh, that it will result in approximately a 3 to 5% decrease in our ultimate PM2.5, and that's exactly true. But you keep in mind we only need to get a 14% decrease in our PM2.5 to meet the EPA standards. So 3 to 5% is a third of that, so that's not insignificant. Hmm. Let me turn to Rosalind Brain, who uh, is assistant professor at USU and sustainable communities uh, extension specialist. Uh, and I understand you've been engaging students, and you had a Facebook page uh, doing something similar to what uh, Jennifer's doing, just getting comments of how, how this is all affecting people. Right. So I I teach communicating sustainability on campus, and it is a service learning class. So the students take class concepts on sustainability and communication and apply those throughout the community to help businesses improve their environmental footprint. And so in my class, we were discussing air quality over the window. We had Robert Davies and a few other guest lecturers, and Jean was in the classroom as well talking about the, the contest. And so during during one of my classes, the students started sharing stories about concerns they had about air quality and not realizing how bad the air was here when they had moved here. And then how um, some of them were considering leaving the university because of the air quality and health issues they were experiencing and 
and really powerful stories. And so we started the discussion, given that it was a communications class, how can we get the, these stories out to a larger audience? And so what we decided to do was create a Facebook event that was called Open Air, and it was for faculty and students to voice their concerns about air quality. And from that, the Herald Journal was interested and wrote an article about some of the stories that the students shared from my class. And so it was interesting to me because I, like the students, I moved here about a year and a half ago and hadn't realized that we had an inversion to the extent that um, the health extent that it is here in Cache Valley. So uh, it was great to be able to share the stories and to take a part in helping improve the local environment. One of the things we heard in Jennifer's piece was a couple of people said they were embarrassed. In fact, one you know, young couple uh, uninvited their parents from coming out because they didn't want them to, to have bad uh, uh, effects from air quality. You, you heard from some students who said they were considering leaving USU because of the air quality? That's right. One in particular, uh, him and his wife were talking about um, starting a family. And their major concern in doing that here was with the winter air quality and having a a young infant in the valley. And so they're considering leaving because of that and uh, starting a family somewhere else. We've been hearing a full range of things. Uh, uh, Jean Lown, I I wonder, uh, first of all, I'll let you make your comments you're going to make, and then I'll ask this question. Well, you know, it's affecting faculty recruitment. I've served on search committees where we brought the candidates in when it's a horrible red air day. They come into the valley, see that, you know, a couple of years ago, that flashing sign on Main Street. And these people are often young and have young children, and they don't want to come here. They've got other options to go elsewhere. So it's re- affecting faculty recruitment. Mm. And there are faculty I know who have left because of this. There are faculty who are considering leaving. They're definitely looking for jobs elsewhere. There's people like me who decided to take early phased retirement because I want to be out of here in January and February. I don't see things getting too much better with the population growth. I mean, our mm-hmm. population growth is a tidal wave that's washing out just about anything else. And so it has serious, you know, Randy mentioned that $7 million a year in health care costs, but it's definitely affecting the university. Let me throw this out to you. First of all, the number is 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to hear your story, your question, or comment. We're talking with uh, Gene Lown, Randy Martin, and Rosalind Brain, all from uh, Utah State University, talking about the, the air pollution problem, which was um, uh, just especially evident this past winter. And I think that's why it got so much publicity. Uh, that's where I want to go next, to have, have comment maybe first of all with, with Dr. Martin. Um, there's, it got a lot of publicity this past winter. Maybe the publicity has backed off a little bit now that, uh, you know, the, the winter is, is, is over. Um, emissions testing has come to Cash Cash Valley, long hoped for by, by some people. But I know there's frustration among the people worried about this problem that uh, there's not a whole lot beyond that being done. What, what, what remains to be done? Well, uh, as I mentioned before, the emissions testing is modeled to account for about a third of the emissions reduction we need to achieve. Uh, the other two-thirds will be um, imposed upon a lot of the small businesses here in the Cache Valley, uh, the auto body paint shops, the dry cleaners, the restaurants, the printing shops, those kind of places, cabinet makers, et cetera. Um, so there are other scenarios that are going forward uh, from a control standpoint. The valley is growing. We know that, and it will continue to grow. And unfortunately, our vehicle miles traveled is growing at a faster rate of increase than our population. Um, so there are things we still need to look at. The thing to keep in mind is that the 
state implementation plan as written is not designed to totally clean our air, which would be a wonderful goal, I, I admit, but it is designed simply to get us below the EPA standards, which have our health-based standard uh, to allow all the residents of the United States really to have access to some level of clean air where they're uh, exposed to what's considered to be an acceptable risk. Mm. So there will be days where we still have high air pollution, but on average it will be below the standards, hopefully. And it has been mentioned before, even if we were not to have these programs in place, the model suggests we would reach clean air by about 2020 or so, I think 2019 maybe. Um, But the EPA's requirement is to approach it quicker than that. And and to me, that's only right. Gene Lown, um rallies at the state capitol, uh, wall-to-wall programs like ours uh, over the winter. And I, I don't know what, what you think has, has come out of all this tumult. Well, I, you know, at least there's been an increase in awareness, and that was part of the reason for having the contest for the USU students. It just really oh, it makes me feel so bad to see students out jogging on these red air days, and I just want to go over to them and stop them and say, gee, you need to educate yourself about how bad this is for you. And one of the problems is that the message we're getting from the state health department is that you know most of the time it's only bad for people with com- comprised you know respiratory systems, infants, the elderly, and such. Well, the research by um, Dr. Pope shows that it's clearly bad for every single person who is breathing that air. And so wanting to raise that awareness, I, I think we're, we really need to look beyond some of the simple, obvious stuff. And I'm so glad to see we're finally going to have vehicle emissions testing. And I'm very much aware that's not going to solve our problem. But, you know, let's be creative. Think about things like a, a lot of small private universities have a winter session where they don't have classes on campus in January. Just think about the impact if we just close down USU in January. Of course, you know, there'd still be people here. But uh, offered intensive classes where students take one class during that month and encouraging study abroad and abroad being anywhere outside the state of Utah. So geology students can go to Southern California, interior design students can go to New York, art students can go to San Francisco on uh, special trips. Uh, I realize everybody can't afford that. Some people are staying here because they have jobs here and have to stay here, but that their courses the other courses would all be online, so students wouldn't have to be commuting to campus. Faculty wouldn't be, you know, all of us commuting to campus. And something like that, hey, you know, I I don't think I'd live long enough to see anything like that happen, but this is what we need to do is think about more creative ways to address the problem. Hmm. We turn back to Rosenbrain. Um, you talk about uh, communicating this, you know, the, the issue. Right. Uh, and I'm guessing you, you you run across students or maybe people in the community who are not noticing ill health effects, and maybe you're wondering what all the fuss is about, and, uh, and how how do you get the word word out to them? Because as as uh, Professor Lown points out, it's going to have to be uh, to to make movements. It's going to have to be uh, more than than just a smaller uh, right. critical mass. From what I've researched in communications, is that people tend to shy away from negative news stories and to um, high-risk situations. And so what what I work on with my students in the classroom is we, we tackle major sustainability issues like air quality, um, food systems, and uh, land conservation, et cetera. But we do that, and in, in we research the areas in depth, but how we communicate about 
change and involvement in initiatives that students are proposing is through a very positive um, message framing. And so I feel that if if we can break down the barriers people have, so they're maybe not aware that there's red air days, et cetera, you first identify the barriers and then um, the benefits of the behavior you want to propose, and you address that in your campaign, you can increase the likelihood of success. And so that's, that's what I try and engage as students in is this whole process of breaking down the barriers that people have to engaging the behavior and um, maximizing on the benefits and using effective message framing to get buy-in. Hmm. We just have a couple of minutes left. I want to uh, ask uh, Dr. Martin, what, what are you going to be treating at this uh, Air Quality Summit? What's, what's, the, what's the topic? What are you going to talk about? Well, I'm going to uh, talk about the myths and realities of our PM2.5 here in the Cache Valley. I'm going to try to summarize 10-plus years of research into 10 minutes of presentation and then hopefully answer lots of questions. Hmm. Uh, one of the things I wanted to make mention to you, you asked about what sort of what USU can do and what they're doing. Um, and I just want to make note that there is an ASUSU meeting tonight, and one of the topics that's going to be presented there is whether students uh, who want to register their vehicles to park on campus should have to have an IM program if they're not from this area. Um, uh, great. So that's, that's uh, being that. broke. IM program, what's that? Oh, inspection maintenance. Okay. So, for example, most, a lot of the cars that come onto campus are from the Wasatch Front, and they, they've likely been inspected. The ones from the Cache Valley will be inspected, but the ones from, say, southern Idaho, Wyoming, other areas, uh, it's being proposed that they should have to go through an inspection program before they can get a, a parking pass. Mm. Mm-hmm. The uh, Bear River Health Department's uh, Air Quality Summit is coming up on Thursday. Uh, that'll be at the Riverwoods uh, Complex, and you can register at the, their website, uh, the Bear River Health Department, which is brhd.org. Arden Pope will be the keynoter. Uh, Randy Martin will be speaking as well, many others, some doctors. Very interesting summit. Uh, by the way, Northern uh, Utah Clear the Air is a good Facebook site. And uh, how to get more information, Professor Lon, on your contest? I guess, is it closed? Well, the contest is closed, but guess what? We are still accepting donations for the prizes. We'd love to have you donate a tax-deductible donation to USU and designate it for Clear the Air. And I want to thank Jackie Lowry, who has been absolutely critical to managing the Facebook, managing the whole project. She has been fabulous. And uh, Rosenbrain, what uh, where to go to get more information on, on the programs you run? Sure. So I run a statewide program on sustainability, and the website is extension.usu.edu slash sustainability. And one of the main components on that website is AIR, and we have fact sheets for the general public on biking as an alternative mode of transportation and resources for educators, documentaries, et cetera, on all these major issues of environmental sustainability. We've been talking with Rosalind Brain, who is a USU Assistant Professor in Sustainable uh, Communities Extension Specialist. Also, uh, Gene Lown, who is a professor in the USU Family, Consumer, and Human Development Department. And Randy Martin, USU Associate Research Professor of Environmental Engineering. Thanks so much to all of you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. And uh, again, the plug for the Bear River Health Department. Uh, Air Quality Summit, that's coming up on Thursday at the Riverwoods Complex, and you can register for that at the uh, brhd.org. By the way, uh, keep uh, your comments coming to uh, Jennifer Pemberton's project on air quality health effects there, and you can find that at upr.org. For uh, producers Danny Hayes and Addison Pace, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening.